You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll be spending the next hour learning Torah, talking Torah, having fun while we learn. If you'd like to contact the show, you can call us at 844-999-9249. That's 844-999-9249. Or you can always email the show at letstalktorah at gmail.com. Lots of things happening. For those who've been complaining, they don't know when the summer is coming. The summer is here. We will have scorching weather this weekend. So uh, either stay cool or stay wet, or I have no idea what, but it's going to be hot. But actually, in the studio, nice and comfortable. They either fix the air conditioning or are allowing it to run during the show, which is greatly appreciated. So, as I said, lots of things to talk about. I just got back from the East Coast. I had a grandson last week, and we went in for his circumcision, his bris. So, that was really exciting. That was fun. Ah, there we go. See, we always want a simmentov. Mazel tov on good news. Love good news. It's a beautiful thing. So, we got to talk about circumcision a little bit. Um... There was a, I guess we'll call it a cycle of life. There was a, a tragic story over the last week. There was a, uh, a Jewish teacher who, uh, who drowned saving uh, some children. I want to talk about that. A lot of fake news surrounding that story. I want to touch on some things that are actually quite amazing about that story. I have to talk about that. Um, we got to talk about the Torah portion. Um, a famous uh, Maybe prophet, maybe magician, maybe sorcerer, maybe con artist. His name was Bilam. He's hired to curse the Jewish people. Got to talk about him. Um, we'll be joined by Rabbi Jonas and Goldson in his usual slot. And But otherwise, I am all by my lonesome today, even though Ethan is here to keep me company. But no guest this week. Um, I gave myself a little uh, break. Um, we lined up weeks and weeks of guests. And this week, we have no guests, which is fine, because lots of stuff to talk about. And But don't worry, today already interviewed one person, um, two or three others said that we're going to talk tomorrow, we'll talk next week, so we're already lining up our next slew of guests, and it's amazing, these people that want to be on the show, they have stories, they have lives, they're just all fascinating people, and um, you know, one of them I was speaking to today, we'll talk about it certainly more in the future. You know, I realize I don't have to agree with everything or anything my guest wants to say, but I don't think that's what I'm looking for. I'm not looking to uh, to just say my opinion only, and that's the way it's going to be. Um, these people have stories. They have their own opinions. They have the o- their own organizations that they run and what they stand for, and I'm really looking to to hear their side of the story. What I have to say... I will tell you my opinion. I won't. I'll try. But that's something I realized today, and it it leads to a much more interesting interview. But those will be certainly in the coming 
weeks ahead. And also, with the coming weeks ahead, one more thing we have to get into. I know so much stuff today. Um, the three weeks, the saddest period in the Jewish calendar begins on Sunday um, with the fast day of the 17th of Tammuz, and we'll try to get into the background of what happened there. But let's take first things first. So let's talk about this um, tragedy, and unfortunately it happens you know, you pick up the papers, you hear this one drowned, that one drowned, this one's by the beach. So um, this was a story in Norfolk, Virginia. There was a rabbi, Ruvain Bauman. He, um, probably in his 30s, um, he was a teacher in a, in a, in a small Jewish day school, because it's not a very big community in Norfolk, Virginia. And he and a partner had a camp, and they were going through a nature reserve. And the nature reserve went right by a beach uh, off the Atlantic. Again, I shouldn't have to tell you it's the Atlantic, but in case you don't know where Norfolk, Virginia is, it's right on the Atlantic. There were so- there were no signs on the beach, that's for sure. Um, were there signs going into the park, no swimming? Perhaps. Do you read every sign when you walk into a park? Probably not. Um, there were no flags out that it would be a dangerous day to go on the water. That's for sure. There were all kinds of stories. It was a red flag day. Not true. There were no flags. Um, it, it, it's, I don't want to call it a private beach. It's a beach connected to this nature reserve. And like anybody walking by the beach, you walk up and down the beach, maybe you wade your feet in. They weren't really going swimming in the beach. Then out of nowhere, a wave came and just came crashing down on the beach and pulled. It's not clear how many boys were pulled out. At least two were pulled out. Again, not clear in the story. Um, either... One teacher told this Rabbi Bauman, I'm not a good swimmer. You got to go help him. These kids can't get back. Or he went in on his own. Again, not clear. And he went out and uh, he couldn't get to them. And then, again, it's wild. In the middle of nowhere, this is like, again, a beach in the middle of a nature reserve. And no one was around. All of a sudden, a stranger shows up. He gets into the water and he pulls in the two boys. But he can't get to this rabbi, Ruvain Bauman. And unfortunately, again, these are younger children. These are 10-year-olds or 12-year-olds, maybe. And they actually watch him go under. And then they can't find him. The police get there. Detectives come. Coast Guard gets out there as fast as they could. Parents are immediately called to come, you know, bring their children home. You know, someone's got to take care of them. Um, there were... This uh, organization called High Lifeline, they came in with counselors and stuff. So this Ray Bauman, he disappeared. He just, his body floated out, and they couldn't see him. Coast Guard is out there, and we'll we'll talk about, for numerous reasons, obviously, right, we want to try to save a person, but even when they were at the point where, where there was no saving him anymore, but they wanted to find his body. So the Coast Guard, which it seems is pretty standard in these situations— the Coast Guard, after about a day and a half, said, look, it's been a day and a half. We've had our, our boats out. We've had our helicopters out. We can't find them. So there's really no reason for us to continue. And unfortunately, eventually, could be months, could be years, eventually his body will wash up. We hope. Um, it was amazing. There was, there was a, like an army of, of Jewish people that converged on Norfolk, Virginia, from New York, from Baltimore, from Silver Spring, people driving overnight. They said, we must find this body. Play, don't ask me how this all works, okay? They, people got private planes or rented planes to search the skies. Boats were showing up. 
Jet skis were showing up. People were combing the beaches miles up and down. Maybe the body will wash ashore. This went on Thursday, Friday. So it was fascinating is the whoever was in charge of the Coast Guard in that area must have come into one of the synagogues and told the rabbi, said, look, really, really, the Coast Guard has officially called off the search. But how can I call off the search when you have all these people coming and giving their time and trying to fight? It's obviously very important to you. So even though officially the search has been called off, but we're going to still be out there with you. Um, okay, by on Shabbos, they're not gonna, the Jewish people are not gonna be able to search. So everybody, I guess, goes home wherever they go. But again, that Saturday night, again, an army of people came. They said, we're not giving up, and people were praying. Now, at this point, I really believe most people were praying not that he'd be found alive. It was not realistic. But actually just praying to find his body. And again, we're gonna discuss why that's so important. And, um... And I, I don't remember if it was Sunday morning. It might, it might have been Monday that uh, that one of the boats that was out there actually found his body. They brought him in. And, uh, again, I don't know when the funeral was. I'm sure the funeral was already. And this Rabbi Bauman was buried. So first things first, it's a it's a amazing, you know, statement that all these people coming and searching, I can assure you they had no idea who is this Rabbi Bauman. He's a very, probably very good person, probably very nice person. He's a teacher, very important to the community. But uh, what does that have to do with me? I live in New York. What does that have to do with me in Baltimore and Silver Spring? Or, or why do I have to spend my days on my boat or on my plane or on my jet ski or combing the beach in the heat of the day? Like, what's it got to do with me? So first things first, you, you just see a, it's more than camaraderie. This is not camaraderie. This is a caring that, that Jewish people know if somebody needs help, they're going to go help. They're going to, whatever it takes, you need our help, we are going to come and help. The real question becomes, the first wave that you thought he might be alive, I get so why were they all, after Shabbos already, why are they all out there searching and combing? Like, what's the big deal? So first things first, there's a lot of big deals. There was actually a whole article in one of the Norfolk papers. I did not have a chance to look at it. I did other research. But um, one of the YouTube speakers was talking about that he had a whole article for, I believe it was an ABC network, I believe, explaining the idea of Jewish burial. Jewish burial is very, very important. A, a body is made of a body and a soul. And the soul is connected to the body. It's true that death means that the soul has separated from the body and it's not going back anymore. Well, true. But since the only way the soul is able to, um, to get credit, I guess is the best way to look at it. In other words, God puts the soul in our body and our soul craves spirituality. The only way the soul can get that spirituality is if the body does spiritual things. Studies Torah does mitzvahs, does charity, does good deeds, helps people, honors parents, what we call a mitzvah. As long as the body is accomplishing and doing what we'll call a mitzvah, then the soul is getting credit for itself. It's its, it's, its lifeblood, it's its energy, and that's its bank account. That's what the soul needs. So the soul, even when it separates from the body, has an amazing, strong connection to the body. To see a body... That's, um, that's not buried, 
is extremely painful to the soul. It's very important to the soul that the body is buried. It's very important to the soul that the body is treated with dignity. Because the, the soul says, this was my body. So this was happening. It's fish food. It's out in the middle of the water. It's terribly painful for the soul that the body is in the middle of nowhere. It's important for the soul that the body be buried, which is, by the way, also an important reason when we talk about cremation, also amazingly painful to the body, to the soul, both, by the way, without getting too into it today. So that's, that's number one, that we need to recognize that a burial is a very, very important thing. Um, so important, to give you an idea how the Torah looks at how important it is that a body must be buried, there's a concept called mace mitzvah. That means a, a person who died and there's no one to take care of that body. So let's imagine it's Passover and you're in the time of the temple and, and you want to bring your Passover sacrifice. Now, part of the rule for bringing a sacrifice is you did not touch a dead body um, before you get to the temple. If you did, you are disqualified. You can't bring the sacrifice. You can't eat from the sacrifice. So if you're on your way to the temple and you, I guess you're traveling to the forest for argument's sake and you see a dead body there, now you have a choice. If I bury this person then my Passover sacrifice is done. So what do I do? So the Torah says, better you lose that positive command to bring a Passover sacrifice and take care of this dead body. Better. Not only that, we even talk about the high priest who were, he can't, a high priest who serves in the temple, he can't even go to his own parents' funeral because that's how important it is that he stays pure and he stays in the temple. But if, now it's again, a, would be a funny case, but if it happens to be that the high priest is by himself somewhere and runs into a dead body and it's either bury the dead body and now become impure or keep yourself holy and make your way to the temple, Torah says he must become tame, he must bury the dead body. So the, the idea in Jewish law, of making sure that a body is buried is is very, very important. That's number one. Um, in this situation, there was actually another issue at hand, and this is what I was really praying for. This is uh, So this Rabbi Bauman was married. Married, has five children, I believe. Um, so there's a, 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 we'll call it a difficult law, a little difficult to understand, but still the law nevertheless. Um, in a case, it, the, the Talmud actually gives this example. If somebody like falls off a boat and he's in an ocean and you can't see the end, there's no end in sight. There's no end in sight of, um, of uh, land where this person could come up from. So in that case, until you find the body, the wife cannot remarry. Doesn't matter, coast guards, people, boats in the ocean, there's nowhere he could have come up, he's for sure dead, it's not good enough. In Torah law, the wife is really stuck. She cannot remarry until we find the body. And that really becomes an even bigger tragedy because she knows her husband's not alive, right? He's not here, out in the ocean, drowned, but she can't remarry. She's like in no man's land. The 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 Torah word, the, Tal the Talmudic word is aguna. She's really lost. She's really stuck. So by finding the body, we've also made sure that this woman can move on with her life. So for both of these important reasons, it was important that the body be found, and thank God the body was found. 
and a, a, a sanctification of God's name, we call it Kiddush Hashem, was made by all these um, Jewish people getting together to look for the body. Interesting enough, I forgot part of the story. Um, when the Coast Guard, is the Coast Guard or fireman, when he came to the rabbi to tell him that he was so impressed by all these Jews coming to help so the Coast Guard's not going to stop, he said, if this is what it means to be a Jew, I want in. I want to be a Jew. He will be a Jew, won't be a Jew. But the fact that he could make that statement, you know, is shows the impression that was made by all these wonderful people. Okay. I told you to circle of life a little bit. So um, on the other extreme, so I had a grandson's circumcision this week. It was very beautiful, coming in as a grandfather. He's actually the first grandson named after my father. So that was very emotional and very appreciated of the children to name after a grandfather. And, and they actually knew him, my children. My son-in-law knew him. Obviously, my daughter knew him. So very emotional, very, uh, very, uh, very wonderful. It's really beautiful to go to what we call a family simcha, a family, you know, a joyous occasion. Um, we did a fast. We um, we left Monday afternoon. Tickets were crazy. We drove in Monday, showed up 10 o'clock in New Jersey, ran for 15 minutes to a wedding because I had a niece's wedding, then took care of my daughter. Next morning, we uh, go to the circumcision. Everybody gets their honor. And um, I do some shopping. My wife takes care of her daughter and grandson. A few hours later, it's 1.30. We are on the road again. And uh, came back to Detroit. Always want to make sure, you know, can't miss the show or anything, right? The show must go on. Or, oh, and there goes my music. So, we've talked on Cycle Life. We've gotten through some important stories. Haven't touched the Torah portion. So, hold through the break. You're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on Let's Talk Torah. And we'll be right back. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's a horror movie. <laughs> Bury the phone in the Bat Cemetery. It's got a cord. <laughs> I'm Ben Rose for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians and a playlist curated by me just for you. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. <laughs> I still just love that line. Yeah. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? Hey, how are you? I'm Gerald Valley, and I want to invite you to listen, watch, share my new show, The Drop-In. It is going to cover skate, music, culture, actually all sports. I have some great guests lined up, and it's to inspire and motivate people to make the most of this life we have. Check out the inspiration, the stoke, and the life of The Drop-In with Gerald Valley. Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you.
down the highway of life. Give me five, my friend. And we're back. So we got into some, uh, I guess, current events, which we don't do too often. But now we got to get into the Torah portion. So we're going to back up to the end of last week's Torah portion. So the Jewish people are getting closer to the promised land. They're getting closer to the land of Israel, the land of Canaan. And there's two mighty armies that have been hired um, to protect the land of Israel, to protect some of the neighboring countries. They're uh, hired mercenaries, but they're two mighty countries, armies. Um, their leaders were giants. One is known as Og. One is known as Sichon. And uh, Moses and the Jewish people completely defeat both those nations. And that sort of gives them the land on the other side of the Jordan. So it's probably modern-day Jordan is pretty much what they conquered over there, maybe part of Syria, hard to know, very big area of land. But really, that's not where they were heading. They just had to conquer these nations because they wouldn't let them through. Right? We sent them a letter, send the messengers, we'd like to go through your land, we're getting ready to conquer the land of Israel. And these two armies said, hello, they've been paying us tribute so that we don't let you in, we can't let you in. Okay, you're not going to let us in, we'll have to fight. So those two nations are conquered. The Jewish people are now starting to almost feel at home. And actually, two and a half tribes um, will make their home in that land area. They'll go into fight, but, uh, but this is where home will be for them. That's Ruvain and God and half of Manasseh will be there. And then we get into a Torah portion, this week's Torah portion called Balak, which really is a complete side story. The story has really almost nothing to do with the Jewish people. There's not no commands in this Torah portion for the Jewish people. There's no—it's um, not anything about traveling. It's not any of our doing something right, doing something wrong. It's completely a side story. It's a side story about how they, the, one nation is trying to find another way to fight, to attack, to destroy the Jewish nation. So one of the reasons the Torah portion is here is to say, hello, there's always nations out there looking to destroy the Jewish people. That's historical. But you should know God's taking care of you, and he doesn't always tell you that he's taking care of you. It's like parents. Sometimes we do stuff for our kids, and we don't even tell them what we did. We called a teacher that, uh, please do this for my son. We, we made a bargain with a teacher to do some type of prizes. I mean, we're parents, right? We do this. We, we make phone calls. We, we, we arrange things for our children. Do we always tell our children what we've arranged to do to take care of them? Of course not. So God is telling us this story so that we know that God is always taking care of us. Here's an example. So that's the, that's the background of what this Torah portion is doing here. So what happens? So the, this Sihon and Og, those two nations that have been conquered and destroyed, um, they had their own sort of vassal states under them. And as they had conquered Moab and Ammon and I don't think Midian, but certainly Ammon and Moab. So Ammon and Moab were like subjugated to these two big nations, but they had their own area that they lived. And now that the Jewish people have taken over this whole area of land, so I'm and Moab are getting a little nervous over here. Maybe the Jews are going to move into our area. Happens to be Ammon and Moab are um, our cousins. And Abraham has a nephew, Lot. We talked about Lot way back when. 
And Lot has two children. One is Ammon, one is Moab, and these are nations from them. And there's, the Torah always tells us that Ammon and Moab lacked gratitude because they're going after the Jewish people instead of saying, if not for the grandfather Abraham, who prayed to get you guys out of Sodom when the city was turned over, you guys wouldn't be here. And they'll be punished for that, but that's not, uh, that's not today's conversation. So the new king of Moab, his name is Balak. So he says, okay, how are we going to fight the Jewish people here? Like, the two armies that were protecting us are gone, and we don't have an army to start up. So let's find out where did their leader come from, and they do the research. And uh, Moshe, of course, was in Midian by his father-in-law Jethro, by Yisro, for many years. And uh, they find out that Moses' power and the Jewish people's power is through their mouth, through their prayer. So they said, let's hire somebody who also has power through his mouth. And that is the famous Bilam. Bilam, he's the one that his donkey talks to him. We'll talk about that soon, I hope. Who was Bilam? He certainly, at the end of his Torah portion, becomes a prophet. He was a, um, he was a man for hire. He was famous for giving curses. And when he gave curses, the curses came true. Now, if he gave blessings or not, may be debatable. The question is, did he really have power with his mouth? Or was he like the world's greatest con artist? So there are those who say he had absolutely no power. What happened? He was a fantastic stargazer. He could look at the stars and he could tell you exactly exactly um, what was going to happen in the future. So what happens? You come, you knock on Bilaam's door, I want you to curse out, I don't know, this nation, this person. So Bilaam says, okay, uh, come back to me tomorrow. Checks his, his stars and his charts and his this. So if he sees that that nation or that person is uh, something tragic is going to happen, so he'll tell the guy, no problem. You pay me 10,000 coins. And I'm going to make sure that destruction is coming in his future. If he sees that nothing bad is happening, he'll say, sorry. Um, either he'll make up a story they already paid me, or this person I don't feel like starting up with, their friends. He can make up any story he wants. He's the con man. You don't know that he knows the future. It's like if you got tomorrow's newspaper. So the first thing, I hope, the first thing you're doing is uh, checking the stock, see which ones go up by today. <laughs> you're a genius because you know the future. Except for the story, there must have been a famous story about a guy who got the next day's newspaper every day till he saw that, the, that his death was coming up the next day. But okay, fine. So, um, so that's what Bilaam did. Could he have been a magician? Some say he was a sorcerer of sorts. Some say he was a magician. Um, some say he was actually a prophet. The, the same way the Jewish people have a prophet. Uh, God wanted that the nations of the world should also have a prophet so they can never complain. If you would have given us a prophet, we would have listened. And uh, the Medrash says this. When the Jewish people were getting the Torah, they ran to Bilaam, what's going on in the world? The world is, like, going crazy. So Bilaam said, eh, don't worry about it. Jewish people, God's given the Torah. Forget about it. Does, it doesn't affect you. Now, that's not the message he was supposed to be given, but uh, that's what he gave. So whatever Bilaam is, the world is... Either it's true that he has the power to curse. There's a, there's a Talmudic source that says that Bilaam knew the second that God got angry. Every day it seems God is angry for a millisecond. 
and Bilam knew that millisecond, and he could work out his curse would either start or end exactly on that millisecond, and his curse would take place. So again, there's different possibilities exactly who Bilam was or what he was, and this is the man that Balak is hiring. Now, all the commentaries ask, like, God's the one that decides if Bilam's curse does take effect, if Bilam's curse does not take effect. So let, as they say, let Bilam curse all day long. As long as God's on my side, I got nothing to worry about. So, so what's the big deal? So um, one interesting answer I saw today was, God wants that the nations should be petrified of the Jewish people. We go through the Red Sea, we sing the song by the Red Sea, and in the song we mention how the nations of Canaan were melting, and then Amalek comes along and starts up with us, so people shouldn't be afraid of us. So God wants that all the nations should be petrified of the Jewish people. If the great Bilam, okay, that was saying quotations, if the great Bilam doesn't curse the Jewish people, but instead blesses them, that will increase the world's fear, trepidation about the Jewish people, and therefore... Um, God wants to set up this whole story. So what happens? The messengers come to Bilam and they say, Balak wants to hire you. So Balak says, so Bilam says, okay, let me, I got to talk to God about this one. So God comes to Bilam at night and says, you're not going. Don't go with these people. Okay. But I told you, Bilam's a con artist. He doesn't say the next day that God said I can't go. No, of course not. He says, he adds one word. He says, God says, I can't go with you. You guys are the problem. Okay, they go back, and more important people come. And again, Bilaam asks uh, God, and God says, you could go, but you're going to say word for word what I tell you to say. Um, so Bilaam goes, but Bilaam's attitude is, I'm going with the opportunity to curse the Jewish people. So God sends an angel. Bilaam can't see the angel. Bilaam is riding a donkey. Why that was his mode of transportation, perhaps he used that donkey for some of his sorcery or magic, but uh, the donkey sees the angel with a big sword, and the donkey, you know, takes a detour. Bilaam smacks the donkey. And again, they go a little further, and the donkey crushes his leg against the wall, and, and a third time, the, the angel gets in front, and again, Bilaam starts to hit the donkey, and then all of a sudden, the donkey starts to speak to Bilaam. And so what are you hitting me for? Now, you understand, there's a, there's a conversation going on. I don't know if you can imagine the picture, but I don't know if you had a dog, and all of a sudden your dog starts to talk to you, and you start to answer back, so everybody's looking at you like you might be nuts. I'm not saying you say, oh, nice dog, good dog. I mean, you're having a conversation, right? The, the Bill is trying to say, oh, this donkey, he's not my donkey. Yeah, I'm your donkey. You ride me all the time. And Bill says, well, you know, he makes this excuse, that excuse, and the donkey keeps contradicting him. And, and the point being that Bilaam has to, who's officially the great cursor, who's supposed to be telling the world, I'm going to curse and I'm going to take care of the Jewish people, and he can't even win an argument with his donkey, right? He can't even win that argument. So how great of a sorcerer, magician, power of your mouth could you have when a donkey's mouth is going to win in a conversation? So really, the question becomes like, you know, if I'm Bilaam, so the first thing I'm going to say is, uh, you know, my donkey says this, I say he's wrong. <laughs> I don't care what my donkey says, what do I care what my donkey says? 
why does Billum have to lose that conversation? So we're going to try to answer that when we come back. We still got to talk about the fast day coming up, but my music is playing. You're listening to Rabbi C on New Radio, on, new, on NRM Streamcast. Got it right this time, and we'll be right back. Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? For those answers, you're going to have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks. Times we see a guy running down to first base, and it's, it turns into a hobble. Get yeah. umped. I mean, that's the, <laughs> getting umped. <laughs> that, that can't be the same guy. Can't be the same guy. I'll tell you what happened. G'day, Morty. I got the Szechuan sauce. We're at C2E2 with the legendary Chris Claremont. Greetings, my fellow geeks. My name is Jordan Trevilian, and this is Get It to the Geeks. We are here with David Yost, the original blue Power Ranger. Nobody right. promised you when you bought the thing on PS4 that you could play it on Switch. Well, your, your excuse is garbage. I'm going to pull out my crossbow. All right, sweet chainmail armor. Let's see what you got. Welcome back to Who's Got Chutzpah. I'm your host, Rabbi Tzvi Jacobson. And are you ready? Oh. Uh, Andy, what holiday is this associated with? Oh, boy. Uh, uh. Sukkot? I'm sorry, that's not the answer we were looking for. Whitney, for the win, can you tell us which holiday is this? Oh, I know. Shavuot. No, I'm sorry. I've got the answer. Ta-da! What? My show, Let's Talk Torah, where we talk Torah, holidays, faith, and all the things that help us live our life. That's Let's Talk Torah, Thursdays at 3 p.m. That's pretty good. And we're back, and time is flying, and I'm barely scratching the surface. But I, I did want to just answer the last question, and then, um, and then we'll get into the fast day coming up because a lot of information there. I'll try to get through it as quickly as I could. So what happens is um, they ask a different question. You know, animals. They may communicate. They don't talk. Animals don't have language. Animals don't talk. And there's a very good reason for it. Because animals, everybody would understand, and everybody understands that animals do not have the ability to lie. You know, there's, um, for those who have read these books, Tintin, are you ever Tintin? Ethan, not your, not your, not your uh, age limit. Tintin, whatever. He was a reporter, and, and he's, uh, you know, he's always, you know, Pow, bash, smash, and he always gets the bad guys, and he always gets hit on the head, and he has a little dog, Snowy. So in the book, sometimes, the, there are animals that talk. And no, you don't get to contradict an animal who's talking, because everybody knows animals don't lie. So Billum is stuck, because his animals arguing with him, and everybody understands only people have the ability to lie. Animals don't have the ability to lie, so therefore, Billum was, uh, was quieted. And now what's been accomplished is really a whole new thing that's been accomplished. I guess I'll talk about it, even though I want to talk about something else. And that is that, again, if the purpose of Bilaam coming to, he thinks coming to curse the Jewish people, God's dragging him along to bless the Jewish people. And the purpose of that is 
to scare all the nations. Well, if I'm another nation and I hear the great Bilam bless the Jewish people, the first thing I say is, how much did they pay him? They probably paid him a lot of money for that blessing. In which case, all of a sudden, they're not so scared. They need to know it's coming from God. It's coming from prophecy. It's not paid off. Once they see, and word gets out, that Bilaam had to argue with his donkey, and God is talking to Bilaam with a donkey, now everybody realizes that Bilaam is not on his way here because the Jews paid him off. He's obviously, he was attempting, trying to curse the Jewish people, and instead of being successful in cursing the Jewish people, um, God forced him to bless the Jewish people, and that will, will accomplish what God wants. Fine. So, really, this Shabbos, but it's, uh, you can't fast on Shabbos, so it's going to be on Sunday, is the beginning of, of a time period called the three weeks. It's always during the summer. It's from the 17th day of Tammuz, the Jewish month of Tammuz, till the 9th of Av. Um, Tishabov. Tishabov is the anniversary of when both the first and second temple were destroyed. Um, but we start this three-week period because... Again, it's a it's a sad period of time. It is a it is a, we're looking at all the terrible tragedies that happened to the Jewish people throughout the millennia, but this becomes the window of time where we focus on these tragedies. I actually said a few weeks ago, I can't remember where it was, um, but I did say a few weeks ago that it is interesting. Oh, I said it to us night. That this that there's these these three weeks of uh, tragedy, and uh, interesting enough, the the high holidays, Rosh Hashanah, through the end of Sukkot, is also a a 21 day window, and and that's because there's two different ways the Jewish people can be forgiven. We can we can be praying and we can be celebrating and we can be doing God's will. That's one way we can get we can do repentance. And there's another way of repentance when uh, tragedy strikes, when things happen to the Jewish people. Part of the purpose, or all of that purpose, is not only to teach us a lesson, but to help in repentance. So it's a very, so there's certainly benefits to uh, to remembering tragedies, but not so much remembering the tragedy, remembering why they happened, and therefore taking a lesson to say, "I got to be a better person." So on the seventeenth of of actually five different things throughout our history happened to the Jewish people. Now, there may have been more, but this is, you know, ending um, with the destruction of the temple. That's, that's where our window is, from the Jewish people leaving Egypt till the temple is destroyed. Um, that's the window of time that we're looking at specific tragedies. Not to say other tragedies didn't happen. They did happen. It's, a, it's, it's an auspicious time for tragedies. So first of all, Moses breaks the two tablets. What happens? Moses goes up on the Shavuot holiday Pentuch, um, and he goes up to receive the Torah. And meanwhile, he's supposed to come down 40 days later. The Jewish people miscalculate. The, um, the Satan, the evil inclination, is allowed to fool the Jewish people. And, um, he, and some get nervous. They think Moses is dead. They need intermediaries. So they create a golden calf. That's the famous golden calf. Um, after they make the golden calf, then they're dancing to it and sacrificing to it. Not a lot of people. Upwards of 3,000 half a percent, but, um, but the fact that the rest of the Jewish people stood on the sidelines and didn't do anything, that's enough to make it a tragedy. Moses comes down, God sends him down, and Moses sees them dancing to the golden calf. Moses takes the two tablets, and he smashed them on the ground. 
those two tablets that are broken, by the way, will be put in the ark, and Moses will go up 80 days later and come down on Yom Kippur with the second tablets. So this was really, I mean, come on, this is idol worship. 40 days after you just saw God and experienced the, the giving of the Torah. So this is tragedy number one. Now, part of the tragedy was that our ability to understand and study Torah changes from the first tablets to the second tablets. Okay, that's a conversation for a different day. That's tragedy number one. Tragedy number two is the Romans breach the walls of Jerusalem for the, by the second temple. So in other words, you have the city of Jerusalem itself is surrounded by walls, and, um, and then the Temple Mount itself is also up on a mountain surrounded by walls. So the temple will be destroyed on Tishabov, but the Romans have already breached the city of Jerusalem on the 17th day of Tammuz. That's a second happening. Um, this is debatable when it happened. The next two things, there was an idol set up in the temple. Some say that was the king Menashe set it up. Others say different kings. Uh, there was a Torah scroll burnt on the Temple Mount. Um, both these tragedies, again, it's debatable exactly when, but somewhere during probably the first Temple period is when it took place, so that's three and four. And the last one is really interesting. What happens is... Um, and it may have happened more than once in our history by the first temple and second temple and even in between. So again, it, it, the story takes place a few different times. But what happens is it was the Greeks that surrounded the walls. And so the Jewish people, we bring sacrifices, right? There's a temple, we have our sacrifices. And it's like such an interesting idea, right? You have, you have a warring army outside your walls. And you say, you know, guys, I know we're having a war right now, and I know you want to come in and kill us, but we would really like to bring some sacrifice to our God. So if you're the enemy, the last thing you want is to let these people bring their sacrifices, right? Because sacrifices keep you going, which, by the way, is true. The sacrifices were one of the things that were protecting us. Finally, somebody in Jerusalem uh, sends out a secret code to the, to the Greeks or the Romans or each time period and says, you fools. Um, why are you sending them sacrifices? As long as you send them sacrifices, they're going to continue to be able to fight you. Stop sending them their sheep. So what happened was every day a, a basket of, of gold or coins was lowered down, and they would send up two sheep. On Shavas Vatamas, on this day, uh, they sent up a pig. So once they sent up a pig, the Jewish people knew it's all over. We're not going to be allowed to bring sacrifices anymore. So again, these are all signs of the beginning of the end. Now again, it's hard to imagine they breached the wall the same day, the same time period as sending as not sending up the sheep. It could have been a different year. Um, certainly the walls, again, the, in those days, walled cities like Jerusalem, this was not a, a six-week campaign. Right? This is, you know, this is not a, 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 a quick... Uh, TV show episode where in an hour the whole story is over. Um, this was years. You would surround the city and you'd have to get your, your battering rams and you'd be shooting things over the wall. This was, could be years in the making. You'd have to starve out the city. This was something that was pretty standard. Um, when, you, when you were trying to conquer a major city, it could take you um, years. So it could be one of the earlier years they stopped sending the, the sheep and then this was, uh, and then the last... Again, in that cycle, when they finally broke through, it was again that same, the anniversary of that same date of the 17th of Thomas.
So interesting to to just know for your own knowledge, there's um, there's actually laws of mourning that take place during these three weeks. It increases when we get to what we call the nine days or the week of Tishabov, but uh, there won't be weddings. There won't be Jewish weddings now for the next three weeks. Well, again, today is Thursday. You, there could be a wedding tonight. But after tonight, there won't be any Jewish weddings for the next three weeks. People won't be listening to music, certainly not to live music. Um, people won't take haircuts. Um, that's the like the beginning of some of these laws of what we call mourning. Um, and when we get into the nine-day period, we, we ratchet it up. We, we'll do less laundry and we'll... We will we'll be we'll walk around I guess in a more sad depressed uh, feeling. Uh, people won't eat meat, and again a lot of stuff is dependent on customs. There's different customs depending if uh, if you came from Europe or we call Ashkenazim. If you came from uh, from uh, the Middle Eastern countries, that's the Sfaradim. It's all debatable when things become forbidden, when things don't become forbidden. So that really um, takes us through what we call this three-week period. So I think I got through all the stuff of our three weeks. So let's at least try to take our last two minutes of this segment and get back into our Torah portion. So Bilaam shows up. Bilaam shows up, Bal comes out to greet him, and he says, I, so what took you so long? I told you I'm going to pay you. And again, now Bilaam is really stuck. Bilaam has to continuously say to Balak, I'm not in control. I know you think I'm in control, but I'm not in control. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to bring a lot of sacrifices. They're going to bring 42 sacrifices to counteract the sacrifices from, from Abraham. And uh, Balak may not have been a great magician, but he understood the idea of location. He understood that there's good places to pray or to curse. Now, he's the opposite. Now, we look for a good place to pray. He's looking for a good place to curse the Jewish people where this area itself will be a sign of bad things to come. So they're actually going to do this three times, three different times. Three different times they're going to bring these sacrifices. Bilam is going to go out and try to talk to God. So again, normally... Um, only Moses has the ability that when he wants to talk to God, God, so, God talks to him. Any other prophet, there's all kinds of preparations, and then they usually have to go to sleep, or they have to go into some uh, epileptic uh, trance or something, because the human body cannot just talk to God straight. And just because you ask to talk to God, he's not listening to you. When he's ready, he'll talk to you. But this is, like we said, this is for the benefit of the Jewish people. God is setting up Bilaam to bless the Jewish people um, so that the nations will be petrified. So, therefore, Bilaam goes out to talk to God, and sure enough, God talks to him. However, the talking that God does to Bilaam is to say, you're going to go back and you're going to bless the Jewish people. So, Bilaam will go back and he'll tell Balak, okay, stand. I'm saying a prophecy from God. You got you to gotta, you gotta pay attention. You have to have respect. And all of a sudden, Bilaam poetically starts to bless the Jewish people. Balak does not know it hit him. He says, hello, I offered you a lot of money to curse the Jewish people. I didn't ask you to bless them. I don't need your blessings. They don't need your blessings. What are you blessing them for? So Bilaam says, I told you, it's, it's not me. It's completely not up to me. I got to do whatever God says. But let's try it again. So the next day, again, they're going to bring all these sacrifices. And again, Bilaam's going to go out. And again, he's going to come back. And that actually takes place three separate times. 
where where Bilam is forced to bless the Jewish people, even though Bulg's not happy about this. And here comes my music again. And we still didn't finish the whole Torah portion, but we got one segment left. We're going to be joined by Jonas and Goldson. So you're listening to Rabbi Tzvi on New Radio on NRM Streams, and we'll be right back. Why are we here? What makes a person truly good? For those answers, you're going to have to take a philosophy class. But if you're more interested in who would win in a fight between R2-D2 and a Dalek, watch Get It to the Geeks. Detroit. It's the home of some of the world's most talented artists. It's where techno and Motown were born. It's a city where you can experience raw, untamed rock and roll. I'm Ben Rose, and I'm inviting you to join me weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians, info on what's going on around town, and a playlist curated by me just for you. Welcome back to Pop That Culture. That's a horror movie. (laughs) Bury the phone in the fat cemetery. It's got a cord. (laughs) I'm Ben Rose for the Motor City Juke Joint. I'll have interviews with musicians and a playlist curated by me just for you. Hello, folks. Welcome to the Greg Russell Movie Show. When I have a couple cocktails, everything's funnier. (laughs) I still just love that line. Producer, director, how did this whole thing come about for you? And we're back. And I hope you can hear me this week. We're joined by Rabbi Yonason Goldson of Ethical Imperatives. Yonason, how are you today? Oh, Rukh Hashem. Very well, Red Sri. How are you? Great. You getting ready for a really warm weekend? Uh, well, yeah, but uh, we're going to Colorado on Sunday, so uh, I'm getting ready for that. <laughs> oh, how nice. Is there skiing in Colorado at this time of year? Yeah. Oh, oh really? Oh, cool. It will be Hiking. cool. 70 degrees. <laughs> Beautiful. You enjoy. But as always, the clock is ticking, so go for it. All right. Well, if you follow the news, you know there's a lot of shouting going on, attacks, accusations, diatribes, lots of talking yelling, not much listening. That's particularly relevant to this week's tour portion, which begins with Balak, the king of Moab, contemplating the survival of his kingdom. The Torah tells us that Balak saw how the Jewish people had defeated the Amorites and the other nations that stood in their way. Balak knew he couldn't defeat the Jews, so he hired the wicked prophet Bilaam to curse them, hoping that this would save him and his people from conquest. Compare this to another Gentile, Jethro, who also witnessed the miraculous victories of the Jews. Unlike Balak, Jethro was so impressed he chose to join the Jewish nation. What was the difference between these two men? The Torah tells us that Jethro heard what God had done for the Jews, where Balak saw what the Jews had done. What the Torah is really teaching us is a lesson in how to perceive. Balak saw superficially 
but he didn't consider the consequences of what he saw. Jethro heard, which means he contemplated. He put the pieces together. He internalized the lessons, and that made all the difference. This is why we say, Shema Yisrael, listen, children of Israel, to the life lessons that fill the world. If you do, you will always end up on the winning side. And with that, I wish you a very good Shabbos. Yes, and thank you as always. Have a good Shabbos and enjoy the weather in Colorado while we will be in nice, toasty Detroit. <laughs> Have a good Shabbos. Good Shabbos. Okay, moving along. Ready for my next poster. And since last week I probably went back a few, so this week I'm just going to continue from there. We're up to the letter Yud. And that's it. It's really just a dot. It's like the easiest, smallest letter to make. Um, it could be a circle. It could be a dash. It's, a, it's called a Yud. It makes a Y sound. Um, it's also the first letter of my last name. And uh, this week um, I, I thought of an interesting word. The word is Yam. A Yam means sea. Not to see with my eyes, but C-S-E-A. The sea, the ocean, the seas. And uh, I thought it was an appropriate word because we talked earlier the story with Rabbi Ruvain Bauman that he was swept out by the by that wave that nobody could have imagined was coming. And unfortunately, he drowned. But all those Jews were busy looking, boats and planes. And we said a boat eventually found his body and was able to be buried. And the, and the, the family can start their mourning period and, uh, and they can move on with their life. But again, the lessons we learned from that story was really, really quite amazing. So um, I was thinking, I guess I could end the show. I told you earlier that, uh, that my grandson was circumcised. Circumcision is a very, very big deal. Very big deal. Circumcision is a is for, uh, the Hebrew word for circumcision is bris or brit. Bris means a treaty. As God has said that I am making a treaty with the Jewish people. I mean, anybody could, I guess, cut off their foreskin if they wanted, but there's no value in that. The value is that this is the badge that God says I have made a treaty with the Jewish people which becomes fascinating because then you can't hide it. In other words, in Russia, for example, when, when, when people would, uh, would circumcise their children and it was against the law, you can't exactly hide that fact, right? In other words, if they want to see the person circumcised, it can be very easy to tell that you broke the law. And still, people were always willing um, over the centuries to allow themselves to be circumcised. Now, it's historically one of the things, the Greeks did it, when they, they said no more Sabbath observance, no more Torah study, and no more circumcision, because the Greeks felt the body is already perfect. To go ahead and make a blemish in what they felt was a perfect body says it's not the body anymore. Obviously, there's a God, and they, they were not into that so much, or more than that. So, But it was punishable by death. So you're going to go ahead and you're going to circumcise your child when you know it's against the law, and you can't hide it. There's nothing you could do to hide this circumcision, but the Jewish people have always, always, it's like interesting. There's many commands that many Jewish people don't even know exist. Forget kosher, forget Sabbath, forget holidays. There's, there's numerous commands out there that uh, most Jews don't even know exist, but they all know about circumcision. And for the most part, they all do it, even if they're not religious, even if they're not affiliated. But the, the concept of a Jewish boy having a circumcision is something that's been going on, really, since Abraham's time. 
So it's uh, it's considered very special. It's actually considered when the father allows his child to be circumcised. Considered a um, like the child like the father's bringing a sacrifice to God. It's it's very special. It's very wonderful. It uh, I don't want to say it brings a child into the Jewish nation because he's Jewish anyways, but it's. Uh, it's starting out right away to go ahead and, and have this child look and be Jewish. It's really a very beautiful thing. And we, we thank God that we were able to be um, at this grandson circumcision. Not everyone uh, merits to be there. So on a side point, I told you my grandson was named after my father, a blessed memory. So I just wanted to end, if I can get through it. He was a very fascinating person. I, we talked about him probably a good year and a half ago. Um, so he was, I was discussing with somebody today, he was, he was very open-minded. And when I mean open-minded, usually we say open-minded, somebody will say, well, you're religious, how do you look at me? I'm not religious. My, I don't want to say my father was the opposite, but my father was open-minded that even people that were much more religious than him and people that dressed in a way that he would not dress, but he was open-minded, he said, they're all Jews. They're Jews, they are religious, they're Jews, they're super religious, and I'm not going to be like that. But still, he was open-minded, and he loved all of them. And people knew. So I'm sure I've told you in the past, my father was a fireman, a volunteer fireman. That's the kind of fire department they had. And what happened was the fire department itself, most of the people were not Jewish. And when they wanted to go into certain very religious neighborhoods, the people were nervous. It's a, it's a part of the culture sometimes. You're brought up that uh, people are out there to get you and they don't like what you're doing. Again, these things have to be taught. But, um, but he need, the, the fire trucks needed to get into neighborhoods and the people didn't, were blocking the trucks. So what they did was they would send my father ahead. He would take off his helmet, his fireman's helmet, and he had his yarmulke on. So they saw he was Jewish. As soon as they saw he was Jewish, now they're not so scared anymore. They let the fire department in, and things worked out well. But here comes my music. Okay, so thank you to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I couldn't do it without you. Thank you to our wonderful production team today. Kelsey, Cole, Stephen, Alana, Ethan. I hope I've left you with some food for thought. Until next week, I am Rabbi C. Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah on NRM Streamcast. And until next week, don't forget to think about it. <laughs>